Hi finance leaders, Patrick here. Before the show, I wanted to invite you all to the CFO Connect Summit on September 27 and 28. It's free, fully virtual, and features finance pros from recent unicorns, VC firms, and plenty of traditional enterprises too. You won't find a better place to meet, learn from, and network with the modern finance community. And again, it's completely free to attend. Just head to cfoconnect.com and click the red banner at the top of the page. Now, it's time for CFO Year. Oh yeah. How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger vision We will always have enough cash around. Strictly business. Business. Just business. Hi, finance leaders, and welcome to CFO Year, your new favorite finance podcast. I'm Patrick, and I meet finance professionals with a more modern perspective on the industry. Today, I'm speaking with Dave Selleck of Sidgrove, a purpose-led accounting and finance consultancy. As founder of Sidgrove, Dave's mission is to promote a more efficient, creative, and compassionate way of working with businesses to deliver financial insight. Dave spent four years at PwC before leading finance teams at a range of founder-owned businesses and scaling startups. His move into startups and consulting is, in his words, part of a purpose-led journey to encourage positive change in the accounting scene. So we spoke about creating positive change in the accounting world, his incredible tools and tech setup, and finding what really sparks joy in your career. Today's episode is brought to you by Spendesk, the all-in-one spending solution that puts finance teams in control with 100% visibility into company spend. And by CFO Connect, a global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.com and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.com with any questions or feedback. Dave Selleck, welcome to CFO Year. Hey, Patrick, thanks for having me on. We are delighted and I can't wait to kind of dig into some of the topics we've just been speaking about before we started recording. First, I think it would be really great for you to give us um, your background, what's brought you to where you are today and sort of your motivators in, in your career. Yeah, so for sure. So I currently run a firm called Sigrove, which focuses on... Uh, I guess we focus predominantly, or I focus predominantly on the kind of early stage startup um, kind of business. Um, but I work with around 50 different types of business, 50 businesses uh, around about that in different forms. I also work with accountancy firms, but I'll give you a little bit of background as to kind of how I got there. Um, mm. So I originally trained with PwC. I was in like the most corporate audit department probably in the country, uh, working with banks. I had my main clients with the stock exchanges, London, New York, um, did a bit of work at Goldman, et cetera. Um, didn't massively enjoy it, to be honest with you, but, you know, kind of um, had some great managers there, learned a lot, and then moved on into industry and worked for a company that is now part of the global media group. So in advertising, as a management accountant before then, I guess, quite quickly moving on to founder-owned businesses, uh, scaling startup businesses, and spent around uh, five or six years as a number one uh, in finance at those those startups or in founder-owned businesses with experience of VC and private equity. Through that period, I, a number of things happened, learned a lot, um, enjoyed it, but 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 um, found that particularly on the accounting side of things, in terms of my relationship with external accountants, I didn't feel like we were getting the right support and ended up probably disengaging around about 10 firms in a row. 
and led to me really amongst other things and kind of discovery of different technology uh, starting uh, SIGGROWTH, which was initially kind of started as a means to, well, almost like a content project. I wanted to talk about what potentially could be done better to support small businesses and then evolved into me deciding to go uh, full time into a firm, which originally was just was was supposed to be a firm that I would scale in a normal way, if you like, um, in, in the kind of startup small company uh, scene and has evolved into something kind of a little bit different. I now spend, I do all of that stuff. So I do the, I guess, normal inverted commas, bits and pieces of an external uh, accountancy firm, but I do a lot on the, the kind of, I guess, more towards the, the kind of FD, CFO side of things as well on the mm. later stage, let's say post-series uh, post series A, post-seed businesses. But I also spend around 50% of my time just literally pushing the boundaries of what's possible, like innovating, not doing revenue generating work, stuff like this as well, um, speaking out in industry, sharing my ideas. And I guess as a result of this, I've, I've um, started working with a number of accountancy firms. So lots and lots of different stuff going on. Um, I guess outside of accounting, I also DJ, I'm a creative, I'm a qualified yoga instructor. Quite recently, uh, I've just been on a six month coding bootcamp with Wagon. I was on Antler last year. So lots and lots of things that um, that I'm involved with that kind of align with what I'm trying to do in finance. And that's really underpinned by wanting to drive some positive change in this area of the industry. So let's call that startup, small businesses, th those businesses that I believe are at their most vulnerable stage and underpinning, underpinning what I'm doing by, by, by promoting more creativity, um, more innovation and human connection in, in, in the accounting scene. To dive right into that concept, what does that kind of look like a bit more tangibly, I suppose, to be pushing kind of positive change in the startup accounting scene? Yeah, it's quite, uh, it's quite vague in a way, isn't it? Um, I think for me, <laughs> it, it, there's, there's a number of different elements to it. And I think for me, it drives from my own experience. So to be mm. honest, on a really fundamental level, I didn't really enjoy accounting too much. When I qualified, I didn't really enjoy it even when I had qualified and went into industry, I still felt like I was looking at the other departments and the sales guys, the marketing guys, and felt like they were having a bit more fun, enjoying what they were doing, sort of better human relationships. Like, like I don't know, they were just connecting and hanging out more and just the whole energy wasn't right for me. So there's one aspect of finance where I feel like we could be changing the way that we do things to enjoy what we do more, to be more engaged, more inspired, uh, be more creative and have a more humanized way of doing things. This may be uh, controversial, but that's what I believe. I don't believe it's enough of any of those things yet. So that's one key aspect for me. And I believe that tied into this, or rather what I believe this kind of drives is then on the other side of it, delivering significantly better to, to clients. And my focus on that I guess, side of positive change in terms of delivering better value, uh, better relationships is very much the early stage kind of businesses because it's kind of where I focus my time more recently. It's where I believe that businesses are the most vulnerable. Um, and I just feel very strongly during that period, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster, particularly in the early stages. And yeah, I just feel like we haven't yet worked out as accountants, particularly when you see, you know, you look at practices and often at an early stage, these founders are dealing with external accountants and external consultants and FD, portfolio FDs. I just don't think we, we are anywhere close to tapping into delivering the right service at that early stage. And because really a lot of, you know, it's a new phenomenon, it's a new thing, this whole uh, surgence of, of fast growing startups. And um, that's why, you know, I focus a lot on trying to, how do we deliver better? How do we deliver more value to them? How do we do it in a more human way? Um, 
and yeah, I guess I'm being vague again, but uh, yeah. In short, you know, us enjoying what we do more um, and, as res- and, and working more creative, innovative way to deliver better services at a more affordable, achievable price point to early stage startups. We'll have uh, lots of CFOs and, and finance leaders who hear that goal, the, the idea of making uh, life in the finance team more fun. And I, I agree, some of them will be thinking, yes, yes, agreed, but how? Um, is it, yeah. when you're, you, you've mentioned sales and marketing teams, what is it about what they're doing that you think that is more fun? Is it the fact that they have a more direct growth objective? that maybe earlier stage accounting and, and finance teams don't? Um, or is there something else that I'm missing? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one really. I think um, mm. it certainly comes down to, for me, I focus on, in terms of what I've been doing to how do we make things more engaging, more creative, you know, more inspiring to actually, I focus a lot on the sort of actual execution. So I believe in finance, we just do a lot of stuff and I talk, did a presentation recently at Accountex a couple of weeks back. And, you know, my focus is on this idea of we need to move more towards what I'm referring to as harmonious workflow. And, and mm-hmm. really, when I talk about that, I'm talking about the kind of interplay of well, where do humans sit and where does technology sit? And we find kind of harmony in workflow where, we, where we're basically tapping into or pushing more work towards computers that they do better like repetitive work, like storing data and regurgitating it with you know, precision, um, not losing focus and doing all of those things. And on the other side, kind of humans tapping more into to connecting with each other, empathy and creativity and, and dealing more with visual and tactile things. And I think just mm. disproportionately in finance, we probably do a lot more of the things that I think computers do better than perhaps the other departments do. They're often, you know, marketing, more visual, more about how do we communicate to other humans because that's literally what we're doing and sell into them. Um, whereas we're looking at, um, and the same in operations and the sort of, you know, looking at tangible things and visual things. And again, it's a lot of human conversations and connecting with what the business is, is doing, at, tangibly doing on the front line. Whereas in finance, we can often get stuck in this uh yeah, these processes that involve us looking at technology and numbers and doing repetitive tasks often. And I don't necessarily believe that's the case throughout the whole of finance, particularly when you look at sort of hands, I guess, more hands off CFO roles. They become closer connected to what the roles in other departments involve doing, i.e. less of this kind of repetitive work and, um, you know, dehumanized workflow. And I think that's some that's a key part of what, what creates the energy in, in finance, to be honest with you. That resonates quite a lot. Uh, I'm thinking about the the way that a sales or a marketing team would use a CRM, or a, a paid marketing specialist would use their you know their advertising tools, their Google AdWords and things, where they're, they're interacting a lot with that t- software or the technology. But the technology is doing a lot of the analysis, or the I guess the menial tasks, and then that person is able to take that analysis or create their own insights. And actually, that's where the creativity comes in. Is this sort of that's yeah. sort of more where you're picturing it. Yeah, I find that we're just so often in the process. You know, even for me, mm. as a, when I was a number one in finance of these various startups, I spent so much of my time just being in process, you know, getting mm. it done, getting to the point where we had those, those assets available to have the more human conversations, to have the more interesting commercially orientated conversations. And, you know, what I would find going into early stage startups, and I didn't do too much of this, is that potentially they might even have a CFO sitting on top of a finance manager, on top of a 
a junior accountant or even more, you know, resource in the team. And actually, it's only mm. the person at the top, the CFO, who's actually delivering, I guess, the the, the really kind of um, valuable commercial insights that's having those more human conversations, that's taking those insights and, and, and turning them into useful decision making. And, you know, those below are just so in the process. And I think perhaps in other, de in other departments, it's a bit, there's a bit more of a kind of, uh, or there's less of a kind of uh, process involved to get to the stage where you can start talking about things that, that, that tangibly help the business. And in finance, I just feel like this is particularly early stage is such a struggle to get what are difficult assets to create with integrity. You know, it's just a fundamental set of ma management information, um, financial model or projections that tie into that and a bunch of strong KPIs. Like these things are actually quite hard to get to. And so you find a lot find a lot of the time that particularly in the early stage, accountants are just like, they're just struggling to get there. And by the time they've got there, they're exhausted and they feel a little bit dehumanized um, by that process that at that point, they're like the last thing they want to do is probably get you know or, or the last thing in terms of mindset they have is to be created to be commercially focused and human orientated and want to sit in a room of people and to present with energy it's you know it sort of de-energizes you if that's even a word um and i think um i think that's what it found you know and i guess yeah i haven't gone into like the analysis of well why is that such a case in finance versus other departments but it just always seems to be you know i always seem mm. to be the last one in the office i always seem to be way more bogged down and kind of repetitive you know stuff staring at the screen edging and edging you know always the closest to the screen in the room doing all this number crunching and um but then you know albeit i would also be in the boardroom but i would find it much harder to connect with that side of things when i was so continuously in the process of getting to the point where we could have those conversations and in finance it just seems to take longer to get to that point um you know fundamentally when you're having those conversations you need to have an asset to help you to to support that and finance, you know, numbers are still the core of what we, what we do and what we base kind of our, our advice on. Coming from, not coming from a finance background and not having been a finance team worker, that, that also often is the, the perception of what the finance team is supposed to do from outside as well. You know, we tend to think, oh, well, they're the finance team. They sit in front of the computer and they crunch the numbers and they play in Excel and, and that's what they want to do. And the more conversations. Yeah that I get to have with people on the podcast and, and meeting other finance teams is just so far from the truth in a lot of, and maybe the majority of cases for people who I speak to. 100%. This is also, yeah, one of the issues, isn't it? The stereotype that people have of the people mm -hmm. working in the finance team that doesn't allow you to necessarily evolve into a different role. And actually, what one of the issues I found, potentially, per, even personally, particularly coming from audit, God, you know, you always have a, uh, you're, you're born into this kind of culture that you then, you kind of embrace, even as a creative person, like, oh, I've got to be a certain way, I've got to do a job in a certain way, I've, I can't get involved in those conversations, I'm here to do the numbers and present it, mm -hmm. and then, you know, only when I get to CFO can I actually have an opinion, God, I couldn't even imagine, you know, I can't, I don't have credibility to have that now, and actually, you know, for sure now, like, I would definitely encourage anyone to be thinking commercially, whatever that means, I mean, just literally being interested in how what you do relates to decision making from the, from, from the word go in finance, to be challenging, you know, everything you're doing and understand how what you're doing connects to the conversation this year. And I think that, again, going back to what you said, ties into everyone in the organization buying into this and buying into that, you know, everyone has an opinion, everyone has a role that is important and can challenge what we do and can can contribute to the conversations around decision making. And, you know, certainly uh, it does feel sometimes like there's certain designated people who, yep, you'll be the messenger 
and actually i think um that 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 kind of like culture potentially ingrains this 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 way of working in finance where you're like well i'm not going to get to do that so i'll just focus mm -hmm. on my processes and just understand this is my job and you know it's not my job to be creatively minded it's not my job to be inspired it's my job to just do robotic num number crunching or whatever you know so um yeah there's potentially been a bit of that historically and i guess that a lot of that has been driven by the fact that we haven't had the technology to cut through this in the way we now do. And because we now can, it's like, no, 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 we need to rethink this because you don't necessarily need to just be the number cruncher. Now everyone with technology has the power and hopefully the space to be able to be much more than just someone who just sits there and crunches numbers. That's it. And just my, my final thought on this as well is that I think there's not always a recognition of the fact that that this is why everybody in a startup tends to be so excited to join a startup, including the finance team. You know, if, if, if they desperately wanted to be number crunchers or exactly as you said, auditors, they, they could very easily have ended up in the auditing uh, world, um, focused on the books, et cetera. Although there, I'm sure there's another conversation about whether or not that that's the right outcome in the auditing world. But the reason that people join startups and why they're so exciting is actually the the company growth, the journey, the building the culture as part of a team, feeling like you're part of something special because often you are. There's no reason why that's any different for sales team than it is for um, for finance team members at all. Uh, but for some reason, we do we separate those two out. Yeah, and that and exactly as you say, I think this is why that you you find that. Um... Well, hopefully finance people get quite excited about going into a startup because mm. that changes. All of a sudden you're sitting around a table and to be honest that you're kind of equal, like, you know, you have just as much a, a kind of power or an opinion or, you know, your, your opinion is just as valued, um, if not more often, because you're coming, <laughs> to be honest with you, at a stage where probably finance has become quite critical and that's when they'll tend to bring you in and you're like, right, yeah, you're really important now and you're in the centre of things and you're sitting mm. around a table yeah, with the head of ops, marketing, the sales guys, the CEO, many stakeholders, investors, and you're right in the thick of things. And that's very much, or not my experience of how it is in anything other, or larger businesses, well, until yeah. I started, I don't know whether that's changed, hopefully that we'd like to promote change in this space. But, you know, my feeling was there's finance. Yes, you know, even in the advertising company, it was a great culture, it was great fun, but it was still finance over there in the corner, Dave. And I just, I just, how do I get out of being in the corner? I don't want to be in the corner. I'm, I'm a creative, I'm a people person. Yes, mm. I also connect with finance and numbers and understand the value and you know, how integral this is, but I just don't want to sit in the corner and be the person that has to like work in silence and not have the fun the sales guys are having. Um, but yeah, in a startup, it's, it's, here's a blank canvas and you can be creative and you can be a numbers person and we massively value and you'll be making key decisions every day that you can tangibly see how they relate to the success of the business. And that is a detachment that you, or, an, or something you struggle to, you tend to be detached from that normally in a finance department in the traditional hierarchical way in which, you know, it's, they're kind of structured in bigger businesses or organizations. And audit is definitely that, you know, I spoke on another podcast recently about this kind of audit culture and the hierarchy and, you know, the, the way that it's structured and it, it definitely encourages you to just follow orders and then you lose a sense of what's going on around you and then you lose a sense mm. of quite frankly caring and being inspired by what's going on think you have company cash under control you may have a process to pay people back 
but company spending is so much more than expense claims. Spendesk gives you one system to replace your old-fashioned company cards, track online payments easily, and process supplier invoices faster than ever. Whether you're a growing startup or you've been doing this for decades, it's never too late to upgrade. Graduate from basic expenses to spend management today. Try Spendesk. So go back to your, your career journey. You, you were in working in, in several early stage startups and you said that one of the big challenges was dealing with the external accountant. Obviously that sort of inspired you and led you to, your, to where you are today. What is it about that relationship or what did you find so challenging? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I think, you know, <laughs> where do I start? Yeah, I think it's um, firstly, I have empathy. I have a lot more empathy now having gone into practice, practice mm. you know, basically running a practice from industry as to what the difficulties are of them delivering to early stage startups. As again, again, I'll reiterate, like this is effectively a new phenomenon, really, in the scheme of things. Um, and so... Yeah, one of the key things is just a lack of, or really like in, in a startup practice, sorry, in, a, in an accounting practice, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're focusing on wanting to almost commoditize what they do. And that just doesn't work for early stage startups. We're all different. And really, they need to understand the business really to a certain level to offer any level of, of value in terms of doing basic things like bookkeeping mm. and management information and stuff like that, anything other than the basic compliance. And what we've seen is a step into kind of let's call it advisory, which is kind of often referred to in this, in the practice world, where at an early stage now, you'll go to an accounting practice and they'll say, well, we can do your management accounts and your bookkeeping and we can even do, you know, your CFO services and things like this. Mm. But they've come from a culture practices of very much being like, you know, we are the accountant and then this is the business, our client. Whereas there's, it's a very, it's a subtle but really important thing that when you're working in industry, like, no, I work with this CEO and it's my, I am incentivized to do the best I possibly can to give the right insights for decision making and to support the CEO or whoever else in the business. Whereas as an accountant externally, you are incentivized to maximize revenue for the practice. Right. And this is a really, really key thing. And it kind of underpins everything that I see happening in terms of ultimately they will put that before you know, they're, yeah, they're, they're not really incentivized to really truly understand the business and kind of emotionally attached to kind of what you want. So I just found that this kind of led to a quite a detached relationship and they just weren't able to really understand the business well enough to do the bookkeeping accurately enough to, to push forward with certain bits of insight that the business needed. And it was kind of a case of, well, you're sort of doing it, but it's not really adding any value because you're not doing it right. And this is kind of the experience I had over and over again, really. Um, and um, this whole new wave of technology has also been difficult for external accountants who have worked in a very consistent way over time. And again, you know, in terms of what works for them and commoditizing their accounting practices, it's not really been that convenient. You know, they were happy doing it how they were. Whereas it's exciting for um, accountants in industry who see this as a mechanism to deliver more value, to get better insights, to, you know... Um, do things more efficiently, save money. Um, but when I would talk to kind of the external accountants and I would say, oh, how exciting is it? This new, you know, this new app that's come out on the zero ecosystem and the developments in OCR and these things that we, you know, how we can connect to Excel and drive, you know, API, open APIs through this, that and the other. And they would just sound like exhausted by it 
rather than mm. excited. So there's these subtle change in mindsets that just resulted in just me not really getting any value from them. And fundamentally, more often than not, I would come into businesses and see that things were materially badly coded, that the you know, fundamental KPIs like gross margin and EBITDA and even cash burn, ridiculously, would be mm. misstated. And I would be going in there and firstly sorting out a mess and then going, look, you're not offering any value. I understand your difficulties, but if you can't do it right, I, I, it's not value to me. And I think it just drives from yeah, a different motivation and, 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 and at its heart, really, the difficulty of delivering to early stage startups that need a lot of insight to survive, um, but maybe don't have huge, huge amounts of cash in their pocket at the early stages. And they're fast growing and things are changing all the time and they all want the new tech and it's not the culture of external firms yeah. to move that quickly. What makes Sidgrove different then? How, evidently you're approaching things in a different way how are you approaching your clients yeah so for me actually i started sigrove and really the, the the kind of original mindset behind it or or thing that drove me was <laughs> integrity values mm. that's why i actually kind of initially went into it. i was like i'm going to do an accounting practice that puts values first um i'm going to lead with empathy and compassion and <laughs> And and I believe that has a huge huge weight in 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 turning around the service that is that is provided. And I think when you know tapping into what I just said there, in terms of delivering better, in terms of giving the right insights, and you know making sure the the company you're encouraging companies you work with to adopt the right technology, it comes down to understanding their pain points, empathising with them, connecting with them, and ultimately caring more. And so for me, I just cared so deeply about the clients I was working with. For me. I don't you know we can go into a much deeper probably conversation which I won't around why I'm di I've disconnected from revenue being my driver and mm -hmm. purpose being my and that, that comes down to some of the mental struggles I went through on back of PwC and that kind of stuff again you know won't go into that too much but my driver is purpose my driver was to want to help people want to um, having gone through that experience of having bad service from accountants and realizing how detrimental that could be for early stage businesses, and particularly those that couldn't get access to someone like me um, as a head of finance um, on a full-time salary. I mm. just couldn't see a service in the market that was providing that. So it was me. It, so that was part of it. I just felt like I, I don't know. I backed myself to have a greater level of, of, of values and compassion and, and, and compared to maybe the typical accountant, and that's because I'm a creative and maybe I slightly detached from process and was mm. more, you know, more driven to want to connect with founders and and vibe off them. Um, but the other aspect of Sigrove was some of the technology that I've been discovering and been working with. And many people, well, there's a number of people in the industry who would associate me with um, certain bits of technology. One of those is uh, the Elgato Stream Deck, which is um, a technology that I actually discovered just before I started Sigrove. Um, I now use many, many of these devices to to trigger many on-the-fly automations in the work that I do. And this has had a, a massively transformational impact on the quality of the work I'm able to deliver, the way I'm able to work, how efficiently I work, and actually was probably the thing that took me over the edge and went, I know using technology like this and how I believe this is probably going to evolve over time in combination with this I guess, like slightly unusual, like kind of focus on purpose and, and values mm. that I have that's different from the market. And, you know, my creative aspects, which allows me almost to connect with visionaries and creatives that I'm working with. I just felt I had some factors that 
could lead to a blueprint that I didn't I don't think had ever been seen before in the market and so you know I still believe that's the case and 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 um, yeah I believe the technology that I'm using is surpasses anything that exists in the market currently in the SME space let's dive into that quickly because people will be fascinated um we'll try to we'll add a photo to the um article and everything we post after this so so people will be able to see members in the community yeah your desk looks like a spaceship more or less or like you're producing um a news a news program um -hmm. what what's going on what is what's happening at your desk yeah so i'll go through the the, the kind of story behind that quickly i've told Mm. this a few times but um so I don't know who I was working. It might have been Qubits I was at. And we were going through a, an investment. I was doing one of many, I'm sure lots of accountants can relate to this. You work with startups, like all-nighters, fun, doing a financial modeling, model that was you know, needed yesterday to support the fundraise or a decision around, I think, maybe um, laying down a, a new lease or something uh, for a new store, um, laying down some capital for that. So, And I was just like, oh, I don't know. I had this moment of frustration. I was like, I just, I've... I'm so advanced on Excel. I'm using VBA. I'm using the quick access toolbar. I've got a gaming mouse over here where I'm mapping certain VBA functions and shortcuts to. Um, you know, I've got all the hacks for shortcuts and playing the keyboard like a piano, but I just never, I still don't seem to be able to get enough done. I still feel like this isn't a particularly engaging way of working. And and I had this moment where, um, so as I said, I, I tried to make music, I'm a DJ. And I had my drum pads next to me on my desk and I thought, what if I could actually, I've got more ideas that would really help me in this process. You know, just simple things like creating certain types of border, shading, like copying a formula, pulling it along the row, copying down rows, like doing various bits and pieces that you do over and over again in financial modeling workflow. Lots of people will be able to relate to that. Mm. Um, I thought, but if I could just map them to buttons, that would actually make this process a lot easier. And I thought, well, it's kind of a big device to map to surely there's something that's a little bit more like suitable to be on my desk like you know maybe something smaller than that and i just searched amazon at that point and i literally distinctly remember this process and i was like macro pad and i searched around a little bit and then i stumbled across this device which so happens to have just been launched quite recently it was 2018 i think it was or end of 2017 and um yeah a device called the elgato stream deck so as the name suggests it's a product that was um, actually, if you go way back, it was created by a company called iDisplay under a brand called Infiniton, originally released for Workflow. Then they were approached by a company called Elgato, recently acquired by Corsair, who many people will know, big listed US company. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said this would work amazingly in a market that we operate, aka gaming, people who stream. Um, so what it is, it is a basically like a macro pad, almost like a numpad, so like a keyboard, but instead of you know opaque buttons, it has translucent buttons behind which sits an LCD screen, and it gives you the feeling like there are like so there's different sizes. The normal pad is 15 buttons, and so it it looks like you're interacting with 15 different screens that have a button to activate to, to when you use a button to basically activate the the icon that's on that screen. So mm. yeah, one screen behind it, but it looks like you've got little, all these little mini screens. And you can set all the icons on there to show whatever you want them to. And then when you press that button, that icon, you can then configure it to do anything, pretty much, like any action or multiple, or really importantly, multiple actions. So that mm. could be fire some VBA code. It could be fire some VBA code and then flip to the right and then write some text, press enter and then 
launch an auto hotkey script and then launch another VBA of code. And so, and, it could be, and, and, and I'll just briefly go over the actions that you can do. So you can do text strings, mm -hmm. you can do a shortcut, you can do launch a folder, um, launch a file, launch a web page, you can send a delay. Um, I think those are the main ones. And there are also some custom made integrations into software like VS Code and coding software and streaming software. And in the future, I'd love this to be things like Excel and G Sheets and Xero and SAP mm. or whatever else. Um, but yeah, that's the principle. And using this technology, I initially kind of tapped into it for Excel, just mapping all those little VBA formatting things that I was doing on the fly, launch pivot table alignment, you know, cell formats, number formats, uh, date formats, all this stuff you do over and over again, conditional formatting. And then it evolved into everything, you know, launching all the different zero reports I'm running for clients, client management, you know, logging into their different logins and different sites and bookkeeping, gamifying bookkeeping. So yeah, I've done a lot of content around this. I'm actually due to launch um, my own app to share all the ways I use it um, called Pushflow. And mm -hmm. so yeah, if anyone's interested in this, obviously just keep an eye on my LinkedIn. But yeah, it's... um. It's a, and if we dive deeper into this, because I don't like to get too immersed into the actual product itself. And yes, by the way, yes, I have loads of them because this has become almost like a creative canvas for me mm. where I've explored all the different ways we can use it. Um, the future of this for me is to go, right, right, how do we change this and, and put it into one interface? Um, you know, already this is an amazing interface because as you move from one program to the other, the icons change. I didn't mention that. So it's super effective and efficient and, you know, very suitable for a, what is a complicated workflow that we have, but it could be better. It could be more optimized and have a whole bunch of ideas around this. I work actually with the guys at Elgato now. They sort of recognize what I was doing and I now am lucky enough to have a good relationship with them. And um, yeah, it was the reason I went on Antler last year to pursue kind of the technology around this. Um, it was the kind of part of the reason I went on the coding bootcamp recently, although mm. that ties into a whole different conversation around accounting and code and how that interplays and the stuff I'm doing there with APIs and all sorts of other bits and pieces. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting concept. And at its heart, it's, it's about how do we delegate more of those little friction points, little repetitive actions, those bits that make us just feel like, oh, do this all the time, you know, or back onto computers to free up mm. the space to connect more of what we're doing, i.e. creating stuff of value and connecting more with those we're doing it for. So when we go back to how, how do you make things more creative, more you know, engaging, more efficient, um, this is one of the tools that is at the heart of that. Um, and you know, in the future, I see this being not about the technology itself, but fundamentally these, these workflows and people sharing these different workflows and automations with each other and being able to initiate them however they want. So you know, I go on to talk about lots of crazy stuff like VR and AR on the back of that, but Again, probably a whole podcast in its own right. But it really is, it's making accounting, at least in your case, a, a tactile thing. It's, it, you're, you're almost sampling it, it, as you would do in your work as a DJ. Um, you're sampling different pieces of code, different workflows, and then physically pushing a button, which must be pretty satisfying um, a lot of the time. Yeah, and it's a really key part of it. It's a massive part of it. As I said, we've kind of kind of, you know, skirted over it a little bit. I can't go into mm. the full details of everything that has inspired me to use this technology. But in the presentations I do, I very much talk about the fact that I believe the way we interact with computers is archaic, you know, hasn't really evolved for accountants in over 60 years since the invention mm. of the mouse. Um, but look at the creative industry. This isn't the case in all industries. 
you know, go tell a DJ who uses a laptop to DJ that he'll never ever be able to use a set of decks again to DJ and he'll have to use, or he or she, will have to use their keyboard and mouse to DJ from now on. <laughs> good luck. Good, le good luck getting them to do that again. And would it be because it's more efficient to do it using a, um, a controller? Sort of, but not really. That's not the key driver. As you say, it's mm. more enjoyable. It, 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 yes, it is a little more efficient. It's more enjoyable. It's more tactile. It's more visual. Um, and it frees up the space to connect. And there is something about, I mean, I recognize this in my um, my niece the other day when she walked in, she's like one, one and a half years old. And um, was the first thing they pick up when they walk in, like the remote control. And I just thought, mm. that's it. Literally like it's buttons, it's tactile things. We love them. And so, yeah, that is definitely part of the appeal of, of these new inter this, this interface. It's visual, it's tactile. And when people say to me, oh, so how much time do you save and how efficient is it? And I love that conversation. And, and yeah, very, you know, it doubles my output. It's significantly more efficient. But if anyone listening to this obviously watches YouTubers like Ali Abdul and the like, they'll talk about efficiency. They'll share their tools with you. But they'll also say underpinning everything is making things more enjoyable, visual, mm. tactile. Efficiency follows. And so, you know, when people say to me, well, is it more efficient? I'm like, well, again, I love that conversation. But if I was to give you an option to do something in an enjoyable way versus one that's just as quick, that's not enjoyable, which one would you pick? And if we take that conversation even further and look at kids that are gaming, tell me what they're achieving when they're gaming. Like, what is it they're striving towards? They're, all, they're looking to achieve is enjoyment. So mm. if, if, if enjoyment is a thing that we enjoy, that we like, that, that in its own right is something that gives us a sense of fulfillment, then even if we're achieving no more and we're, I'm giving you a more visual and tactile way of doing things, then surely that's a great thing. Yeah. So yeah, lots of different elements of this that I think open a whole different debate again around the digital interface, the way where does hum, where do humans sit in this world of like incredible evolution in software to software integrations and APIs and machine learning and webhooks and in, you know um, bespoke integrations. There's so much evolution. Obviously, Spendesk is one of those and it's all the great technology. And I'm mm. sometimes looking at, you know, people on the other end of a web call who are talking about all oh, this amazing technology and, are, you know, talking about RPA and, and they're like, you know, they're with their wide mouse and their, their brown screen, you know, you know, old archaic screen. And I'm just like, wow, we are one of the biggest bottlenecks here. Mm. You know, we, the human, the way we interact, that needs to be the next significant evolution of workflow an optimization of, of the way we work. Um, and and accounting, you know, accounting and finance is just one of the still, you know, main areas where I believe there's just, yes, we can do all we want with, with cloud technology and APIs and integration, but don't tell me that the people on, on the coalface, you know, doing the input, doing the hands-on work, aren't still doing a huge amount of repetitive workflow. Yeah. Did you go into the coding bootcamp with a clear goal? That is an interesting question. No, is the answer to that. <laughs> Not really. No. So, well, mm. so, so I went through, as I mentioned, and I, again, I skirted over it. So this time last year, I went on to the Antler program. So some people may know that if they're listening. Similar to Entrepreneur First, they're a VC. They're quite new to the VC market. They've come in with this idea um, that if you bring together exceptional people, um, it's a cohort of around 50 or 60, and put them through a program, essentially they will get together and form exceptional businesses, aka a disproportionate, they believe there's a disproportional relationship between exceptional people and exceptional startups and businesses. So that's the mm. concept. So, um, but I went through that process and um, to be honest about like halfway through, I just thought, 
I don't want to start a tech company if I don't have an understanding of the tech environment or at least mm. an, an understanding that is, you know, or, or knowledge that is good enough to be dangerous, you know, that kind of idea of knowing enough to be dangerous. And I think mm. people will probably have a very different view of what enough to be dangerous is. I mean, dangerous in a good way, um, you know, in terms of technology and, and being a tech founder. But for me, it was way more than just understanding what an API was. I wanted to have a good understanding or at least, you know, the wagon takes you through to junior full stack developer sort of standard, albeit very swiftly and, you know, it's a fast pace. And, but it, it takes you through to a certain level, level standard where you get a good view of almost all the relevant aspects of the coding world that you would go, you would, you would experience as a coder. And so on one element, it was empathy, but it was also to go, I don't want to put myself in a vulnerable position where I'm running a tech company, the people that are generating the value, the fundamental product are that, you know, I want to understand what they're doing. These guys that, you know, I'm running it in the same way as if you run a fashion business and you don't know how clothes are made. I just felt like it was personally crazy that I would be running a tech. So mm -hmm. that was kind of, um, that was kind of the, the first time it really clicked, you know, for me, I really felt like I wanted to go and do coding. I definitely had a strong reason to do it. So initially it was to, with the mindset of going to start a tech business and that it all sort of centers around the technology I just talked about. Um, but from there, I've just found significant benefits in terms of my role as an accountant. And since then, I've taken on sort of more, more and more projects where I've been starting to work more with APIs and, and my knowledge of code and, and even knowledge, even of even using things like VBA and stuff like that. The whole, the whole kind of, um, yeah, my whole use of it is kind of really just opened up and I've started to understand things a little bit better. And, and, and I think the difficulty in finance is that you don't necessarily need to know code, but when you do, there's just little things here and there that add just so much disproportionate value that, that, that potentially you have the ability to then do. But certainly, you know, it, it, was, it was learning enough to be dangerous and then working out, okay, where do I want to go from here? And that's kind of where I'm at now. If you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect, the global community for modern finance leaders, like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops, have a private Slack group for CFOs, and a one-on-one -on -one member matching program. CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us. You said uh, you don't need to know code, at least today. Do you think that's something that is going to become, if not necessary, a real secret weapon for accountants and finance team members? I think it will do. I think it will be because I think, you know, there are certain things that I do um, that just other people just can't even get close to because I'm, I'm using code in a certain way. Mm. Um, for instance, if you don't know how to pull API data into, for instance, Excel, then I just have a product that no, that, that, that you, you know, there's just, you just can't provide that product. You can't provide that service. And I think there's just, with the interconnectivity now, and particularly things like the open APIs and the ability to move data around um, and use code to automate tasks, it's just, as I said, it's not going to be a necessary thing to know, but you're going to have a whole way, particularly with a new generation coming through, who learn code for fun, you're going to find your, your, the, your, the relevance of your skill set become kind of overshadowed by potentially like these guys who can just 
guys and gals who can just use code and do it for fun and can do what you do twice as quick just because they know code. So I think, you know, not we're not yet at that stage where it's like essential to, to know code. Um, but I think people should be definitely curious about it. I mean, you know, I'm not going to scare people and say they should know code, but wow, you know, I'm definitely starting to see huge benefits in knowing it. And it doesn't take huge amounts of time to earn it. But I think one one of the issues with this is people just don't know where to start. You know, I do speak to accountants who be like, oh, I've, you know, I know I need to know code. So I've gone and learned a bit of Python or, you know, I've gone and done a course in VBA. And for me, I, one of the things I felt strongly about coming out of the boot camp and, and, and as accountants, we cover off so many areas. And in a way, we're sort of like this sort of, you know, we sit at the middle of businesses and we're advising on all, we're into playing with all different departments. And now, you know, in startups, you, you, or as a CFO, you can get involved in, you know, the backwards looking staff, the financial modeling looking staff. And then you've got this mm. new department BI where, you know, data science and APIs get, you know, and the terminology like that gets flashed around. And it's all a bit like, well, where do I start? Where do I learn? And I think, you know, underpinning again, all of this is, <laughs> don't look, go and learn code if there aren't problems that you experience that you need to solve using it and mm. so i think that's a key thing to also understand if your findings let's say for instance I bring up the example of connecting apis if you've got a client where you go you know what it'd be super valuable to bring in non-financial data from their different different platforms into this report and report on that in a way that's automated okay cool that's our problem how do we solve it Okay, well, I guess we could do a manual export here. Wow, okay, so open APIs are a thing. I guess if I knew how to connect that through and bring that data in, then that would be significantly more efficient. Okay, then go and learn about APIs. Go and learn about what you need to know to do that or go and do a course that's relevant to that specific thing or watch YouTube. I think having a, a sort of fundamental basis like LaWagon may be overkill for most people. That's quite a good thing to do to some degree to give yourself the baseline knowledge to then mm. learn from. But certainly I think going and just learning random coding languages is potentially taking you away from learning other things that could be more valuable. And my approach to learning VBA and how I use it as an accountant had always stemmed from what is the problem I want to solve? And there's Google, right, I'm going to type it in. And that's how I learn VBA, VBA in a way that's contextual to accounting. The same with Excel, the same with Google and you know, G, uh, query and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It was very much focused on what is the problem I'm trying to solve? Um, what is the vision for what I'd like to achieve? Okay, what are all the tools available to me to achieve that? And then you will more and more regularly now find that the solution is code. And I think that's what's happening now. So whereas in the past, the solution might not be viable via code or it wasn't a thing or it wasn't accessible or, or whatever. And there weren't the open APIs to do that. I think now when you ask that question or when you see that problem and you ask the question, how do we solve it? You're going to come back more and more to code. And so you may then start seeing the same problem over and over again in a certain area where you go, hey, I'm seeing the same problem in that area and it requires me to have a knowledge of Python to solve that. So I'm going to go and learn Python rather than my opinion is, don't just go and learn about a coding language that you don't necessarily know how that's going to relate to what you're doing. And I think as accountants, we're now covering off so many different areas. It's so important that for me, that learning is applied uh, and contextual to where the most value sits for you in terms of delivering accountancy. That's <laughs> what we do, you know. So, yeah. you know, and I think, you know, I take it back to Excel. It's a really good example as well. Um, I never did any courses on Excel, you know, it was, um, I feel like 
that there are so many great courses out there, but in accounting, again, there is probably a very small percentage of Excel that we actually use that is contextual for accounting and double down on that rather than, you know, retaining all this information and learning all this information. Um, you know, learn what you need to learn and focus on being creative with those, those, those bits and pieces. It's a fabulous piece of advice. And uh, on that, I'm going to thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Uh, Dave Selleck, it was wonderful to have you on CFO Year. That was good fun to talk. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. CFO Year is brought to you by CFO Connect, the fastest growing global community for finance leaders. Join us for webinars and workshops, get our expert resources, and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for CFOs. Join the community and exchange ideas with CFOs from the most exciting companies in the world. Just visit cfoconnect.eu.